Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. Hey, everybody, from KQED Public Radio, this is Political Breakdown. I'm Scott Schaefer. And I'm Marisa Lagos. Today on The Breakdown, we are bringing you a conversation with San Francisco Mayor London Breed. Breed's name is not on the ballot this November, but in many ways her vision for San Francisco is, as voters will decide the fates of her appointments to district attorney, school board, and supervisor. We talked with Breed on stage at KQED Live earlier this month, and we started by asking four years in how she likes the job. Well, Madam Mayor, thank you so much for being here. Um, We thought we'd open with a broader question, which is you've been mayor about four years now, including the final year of Edley's term. Um, How's it going? What's the best part? What's the worst part? (laughs) Do you like the job? Well, okay. (laughs) Where do I start? Yeah. Um, First of all, I never would have thought I'd be in the midst of a global pandemic. I'm sure no one thought something like this was possible. So, I was having fun, getting ready, doing my thing, and all of a sudden, bam, here we go. So a lot of the time that I've been mayor um, has been disconnected from people. I'm a people's person. I thrive from being around people, going to events, and the excitement of the city. And there are a lot of things that I didn't anticipate being mayor that I had to deal with, but that's the job. You adapt, you adjust, and you do what's necessary. I think on most days I like the job. It depends. Um, it's, it's a hard job, but it can be really, really rewarding. I met this, this person who grew up in San Francisco, born and raised, and had been homeless for 20 years. And he now has a safe, affordable place to call home. And he was telling me about his sister and trying to reconnect with his family and the excitement. And I think this is what we're making possible, right? We're helping people, we're changing lives. That doesn't get as much attention as, sadly, some of the challenges that we see on the streets, but I get a firsthand look at that. Uh, And and, and that feels good, it's rewarding to think about, you know, how we think about programming, how we make decisions, and how it impacts people's lives, because I wanna see things happen, I wanna see things work. And being in city government in this bureaucracy uh, has really tested my patience for getting results. Um, It's not what I thought it was going to be. How is it different? I think it's different in that you can't make things happen as fast as you want them to. Like, did you think as a supervisor it would be easier as mayor to... Yeah, yeah, I probably did, because, because I, I'll tell you, when Ed Lee was mayor, um, you probably remember he didn't initially support me, 
And when I became a member of the Board of Supervisors, we worked closely together. We developed a really great relationship. And when I wanted to get things done for my district, he was very supportive. And we had a great working relationship. Um, but sadly, a part of these roles includes politics, and things can get quite nasty when that gets in the way of progress and what you're trying to do to serve the people you represent. Well, we want to talk about some of the policies and issues in politics, but I I'm curious, you know, you became mayor under tragic circumstances. Mm -hmm. you, know, you were president of the Board of Supervisors. Ed Lee died suddenly, unexpectedly. Who, you were suddenly the mayor, the interim, the acting mayor. Um, who, what's the best advice and the worst advice you got in those first hours? I think probably some of the best advice that I got is when things seem to be overwhelming and it's hard to make a decision, take a moment, meditate, and reflect, and, and, and make sure that you're making a decision from the right place. Mm -hmm. um, so I was a very much appreciative of, of that advice that I got from a, a friend of mine. Um, uh, worst advice, I mean, there's always worst advice. Everyone has um, a lot of things to say, but you know, every now and then you'll get some good advice in between all of the recommendation. But what I, what I love, though, ultimately about the city is everyone wanted to be a part of helping. People wanted to help make things better or help support, make, support me making sure that I, whether they supported, voted for me or not, it wasn't about that. It was about what can we do to support you because that supports the city. And, and I really have appreciated that. We're going to take a quick break right now. And when we come back, we'll return to our conversation with San Francisco Mayor London Breed. You're listening to Political Breakdown from KQED Public Radio. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on The Bay Curious Podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get The Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find the link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hi there, I'm Randa Fattah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. And welcome back to Political Breakdown. I'm Scott Schaefer here with Marisa Lagos. So let's go back to our conversation with San Francisco Mayor London Breed, which we recorded in early October on stage at KQED. Earlier that day, Breed held a press conference with the city's police chief and district attorney to highlight the steps they're taking to go after fentanyl dealers. We pick up the conversation there. Well, I want to talk about sort of the other side of that, which is drug use. Um, Nearly 1,700 people have overdosed in San Francisco since 2020. Um, 
And you got a lot of attention last year when you said we need to be less tolerant of all the bullshit that has destroyed our city. Quote. Quote. <laughs> I didn't mean to curse on TV. <laughs> yeah, was that, uh, was that spontaneous? And who are you talking, what are you talking about? What is the BS? I, I think um, that came about because I was angry. Um, I was frustrated. I had met with all these families who many were immigrant families who were telling me stories and in tears through an interpreter, telling me these stories about their encounters, which consisted of violence. And in fact, I have a, a friend that I grew up with. You're talking about in the Tenderloin specifically, yeah. yeah. Um, I have a friend that I grew up with who um, his son grew up going to the cultural center and he was chased, held down, and shot and killed, and it's on video. Um, there's other friends I know, people I grew up with, stabbed, right? These, like, they're like, London, this is what happened. Like, they're telling me these stories. They're dealing with this, right? And these are not people who are afraid. These are like, minus the families with the kids, but these are people I grew up with who probably did time and been in the streets and everything else. And they're like, this is like nothing we've ever experienced. And the fact that kids have to live like this, the fact that this mom was knocked unconscious in front of her six-year-old son and, you know, like her waking up son, I mean, just the stories. And I'm like, people are living like this every day in San Francisco. Walks from City Hall. Why yeah. is this okay? Why do people who deal drugs have more rights than people who try to get up and go to work every day and take their children to school? Um, I am... Uh, do they though? Do they have more rights or is, it, is that... So I can give you an example. So unfortunately, and let's talk about the reality of the situation. Um, there are, unfortunately, a lot of people who um, come from a particular country, in Hondur come from Honduras, and a lot of the people who are dealing drugs happen to be of that ethnicity. Um, and when a lot of the arrests have been made for people breaking the law, you have the public defender's office and staff from the public defender's office who are basically accusing and, and using the law to say you're racially, you're racial profiling. Mm. You're racial profiling, right? And it's nothing racial profile about this. It's, it's, we all know it. It's the reality. It's what you see. It's what's out there. So it's not about racial profiling. It just so happens that this is the case. Just like when you look at disparities around things that are happening, this is just the reality. And so we have people advocating for folks who are selling fentanyl that's killing people. But what about the kid that got a hold of some fentanyl by accident and died? What about the families? What about the people who live there? So for, for me, we, we can't just you know, throw our hands up and say people have rights. Like, I am happy to give anybody an opportunity that wants to do something that doesn't consist of breaking the law. I'm happy to figure out ways in which we can make those kinds of connections, which we've tried. It's been very, very difficult. 
um, but to just allow it. And that's why you see the increase in arrest. But yeah, talk as, about, yeah, talk about what you all talked about today and what you see, because it does seem that criminal justice policing is a big part of this, as, a, as is harm reduction. Yeah, well, right now, for example, in the Tenderloin, we have a lot of folks who, you know, people who have been involved in the criminal justice system who work for a program called Urban Alchemy. Some have, some haven't, but they, um, this is the second chance. They have a job, they have an opportunity, and they know the streets of San Francisco. They're out there trying to change, and in fact, they've been assaulted, right? Stabbed and shot and a couple of other things. So. Um, we have urban alchemy out there because really it's about safe passage and making sure, you know, we're eyes and ears on the streets. But even they were like, we need the police. Yeah. Like, after especially yeah. after the last person was shot. It was like, we, we want to be out here. We want to be ambassadors. But we don't want to get in any violent altercations with people and get stabbed or get shot. That's not what we're here for. We're here to support the community. So things have changed a lot and what people want to see. But... As you probably know, the police department is short, 540 officers. We expect 200 academy classes in this fiscal year. Building up this department is gonna take some time. Um, so our ambassadors, our treatment programs for those who struggle with addiction, so that treatment is an alternative. Um, and, and being out there and being consistent um, is gonna be what we need to do. You know, the, the homeless problem is kind of a flip you know, the other side of the coin with drugs, I mean, they're very much related. There's a lot of overlap. Mayors going all the way back to Dianne Feinstein have dealt with homelessness. You know, there was Beyond Shelter. There was, you know, navigation centers. Care you know, not cash. Care not cash. You know, you name it. Every mayor had a slogan, you know, and here you are. Uh, and it's, to many people, it seems like either nothing has changed or in some cases it's worse. Is it, is it a matter of like, yeah, we took 5,000 off, but 7,000 more came? Or like, what, where does it break down? Because it seems like San Francisco, yeah. with all of its compassion and its huge budget, $12, $13 billion, ought to be able to figure it out. It's not money. It's not about money. We, in fact, spend, uh, we're in the second year of spending a billion dollars on homelessness. We saw in our last point in time count a 15% reduction in unsheltered homelessness and a overall reduction by 3.5% of homelessness. We saw this in San Francisco when no other Bay Area city saw a reduction, right? Hardly any city in the state of California saw this. So we saw it, but I think the issue that we're dealing with is, for example, we have people who are in these large encampments. And oftentimes, people who are in these encampments are people that we provide, in some cases, housing or shelter bed to. Um, and they're not using them? And sometimes they are and sometimes they're not. Um, because, you know, addiction is a tricky thing. Just because we provide you with a roof over your head doesn't mean you're going to go home every night. Um, and, and, and the bigger issue here is how easy it is to get access to fentanyl on the streets, how easy it is, how inexpensive it is. And so it is important that we continue to do our aggressive work around arrest, but more importantly, around treatment options. So that when someone agrees, you know, there's two ways. It's you're tired of it and you're gonna ask for help. We gotta be able to help, like treatment on demand, which we have a number of locations that do that, including uh, a facility in uh, the Mission kind of Valencia area that we just reopened after remodeling. Um, but there also has to be when, when, when someone who's addicted to drugs commits a crime 
and we look at you know this the situation jail is not the solution how do we force that person into treatment into treatment like a Delancey Street or Health Right 360 or places that we know have been successful in helping people turn their lives around. It's, it's, it's work. Yeah. It's a lot of work and it's all the time. You can never let up. You have to keep working at this aggressively. And it requires a lot of money and a lot of you know, overhead because it's not like you can just do this on a machine. You can't you know, work from home in this arena. You, you, you have to do it. It's very hands-on. And there are safety challenges that exist with trying to do this work as why well. Do you, why do you think it seems so much worse here than in a lot of cities? I mean, you hear all the time, oh, I went to pick a city, and then we didn't see as many homeless as we see here. I don't know the answer to that, but I will say in my conversations with the people that I meet, um, you know, I'm not saying that everyone doesn't come from San Francisco, but I, like the gentleman who was homeless for 20 years, he grew up in San Francisco. Um, but I do meet a lot of people, and the first thing I ask, where are, you, where are you from? And so there are a lot of folks that are from a lot of different places. This happens in a lot of major cities. I think part of the reason is San Francisco is a major city. Um, it's a place that's easy to get drugs in, and we have a lot of people who, um, families are coming, look, coming to San Francisco to find their relatives. Uh, from, from different parts of the country. It's, it's a complex, challenging situation, and I think we have to do a better job um, in terms of uh, making sure that we make it harder for people to get drugs, but also be honest about the fact that people suffer from addiction. And so having safe consumption sites and places for people to go so that it's not open and out on the streets is gonna be also a part of the solution. You know, one of the things your appointee to District 6, Matt Dorsey, has talked about is the need for sort of collaboration, for consensus, or at least for people to work together to tackle some of these really difficult challenges. Um, the Chronicle just commissioned a poll that showed a lot of pessimism about the city, and I know as someone who's covered City Hall that there can be a lot of disagreements there, some toxicity. But it wasn't when you were there, was it as bad as it seems to be now? Well, I don't know, and you tell me, you've been there the whole time, and what role do you play? What responsibility do you have yeah. to, to change that as mayor? Because you are the mayor, right? So, so I'll tell you, um, I mean, yeah. Yeah, it, it's been hard because, I mean, as you know, like, for example, this, this, this board is a challenging board, and oftentimes... I like every board's been a challenging but, board. But, but this is different, because at least with other boards, including the one that I served on, oftentimes there was at least we can come and have a seat at the table and have a conversation and negotiate. That's right? not the case? Uh, a lot of times it's a very all or nothing. Um, the good news is that recently during this budget process, it was very collaborative. It was, it, was, it was really how we should be working together every single time. Um, what was different? I, I'm not sure what was different. I think that you know, there might be some you know, hearts and minds changed about things that they need to, to do for their districts mm. um, that make it easier to be more collaborative with me than to fight, just to fight, to look like you're opposing the mayor. Like that's what people do because they wanna go to higher office, they wanna be mayor, they wanna run for something else. We don't have time for that right now. Like run for mayor, who cares? But in the process, let's work together. Let's work together on these issues. 
and the budget process, it was it, it, it was the first time. And you feel like you've offered that olive branch? Oh, yes. My office, like I've said to members of the board, they can have a meeting anytime they want. Even if it's the last minute, I will squeeze them in. Um, they know how to reach me. They know how to get in touch with me. They do when they want something, right? Because that's when they come in my office and they give me this laundry list, but never talk about some of the other things that they kind of play out in the media. But that's like the game, right? And I don't get consumed by the game and all of that because I know what they're doing. I can't get consumed by that because it's not just about my district. It's about the whole city. I can't just take care of one group of people. I have to think about the impacts of the entire city of San Francisco. I don't have the luxury to do what members of the board do, the, the, the members of the board do. But what I hope is that, you know, they would put aside some of their craziness and differences, which, you know, let's be clear, not all of them. I don't want to just paint a broad brush of every member of the board, but I wish that they would just think more about the impacts of what they're doing and the amount of time they're investing in those things that are taking away from some of the more important things that we need to do as a city. I mean, you know, when I put a certain proposition on the, the ballot, then they want to put a counter. Even talking about the housing DNA. measures. Yes, DNA. even though, like, we've tried this four times. We've talked about it. We discussed, like, compromise. We, we, it wasn't like I just threw it in anyone's face. It was like, how can I work with you? Mm. The answer was just no, yeah. right? So how do you work with that when the answer is just no? Mm. I have a responsibility to make things happen in this city. I mean, Proposition H for small businesses. The fact that I had to take that to the ballot, that could have been dealt with at the Board of Supervisors. Do we support small business or not? Do we support the ability for someone to go from a nail shop to an ice cream parlor? Why should that take 18 months to two years to do? It should take 30 days, and that's what it takes now because I went to voters to get that level of support. We should not be working like this. We do want to take some audience questions, and I think if you have a card, somebody will collect it and uh, get them probably to Marisa. Um, you know, one of the things that's important for uh, a mayor, governor, president is accountability mm -hmm. and oversight, and that's what the commissions are for. Um, and in the last few weeks, it came... You want to talk about my letters? Yeah. Tell us about the letters, London. Uh, this is what I mean. Why are we focused on that when there's so many more important things well, to be focused maybe, on? maybe. But it, so it came to light that there was the one police commissioner who uh, you wanted and required to sign one of these pre un, undated mm -hmm. pre-resignation uh, you know, letters so that you could use it when you saw fit. And it turns out there were almost 50 people mm -hmm. who got these, including, I guess, Kamala Harris's niece and... You know, Mina, who's my friend, yeah, <laughs> and you know the the district I, director so, for yes. Nancy Pelosi. So like, okay, so initially, let's talk about this. So initially, your office kind of defended it, and then you said, okay, we won't do it anymore. So w what? I, I wouldn't say that we defended it. I, I mean, let me just explain why I did it. Um, when Ed Lee was mayor, and there was this big episode with a commissioner on the port, uh, Mel Murphy, there was a lot of drama around that where this person wouldn't resign, wouldn't leave the commission, and it had an impact on business for this commission. Um, so this is not about you vote the way I tell you to, um, and if you don't, I use a letter. But they could think that. Well, no, there's a conversation that happens as a result of this. My concern is if you go AWOL and we can't find you, which has happened 
you know, with some of our various committees where we've not been able to track down people who I appoint to serve in various capacities. After three months, if you're nowhere around, you're not showing up to meetings, you're not making a phone call, this is what we're talking about. We're talking about situations like this. And, and let's be clear, people don't know these commissioners, guess who they're holding accountable for this work? They expect the mayor to deliver. And I can't even hire and fire the police chief directly. I have members of the Board of Supervisors, they have to approve my commissioners. And it's all these layers of process, but at the end of the day, who is this city counting on to make sure it's safe when I don't even have the direct authority to do exactly what I need to do to make it so in some instances? So for me, you know, part of why we did what we did, and I take full responsibility for it because it was my decision, it was not an illegal thing to do, but it was necessary if I ever needed to use it, if I ever ran into a situation where someone's going AWOL, where someone as a result of something that happened, you know, like a Mel Murphy, we could use a letter like this. And, and if we ever did that, that would be made public. It wouldn't be, we wouldn't be hiding behind it. We wouldn't be saying, oh, you didn't vote a certain way and then put out a, you know, that would create a whole nother set of issues. But that's a practice that I don't think other mayors have done. I don't know what other mayors done. They claim they haven't done it, but you know what? Other mayors before some of the policies that have been put on the books by the Board of Supervisors, you know, people like Willie Brown had direct ability to appoint commissioners on the police commission, and, and I don't. I have to go through the Board of Supervisors. MTA commissioners, like they had a, a different level of authority than I have now, but I'm still being held accountable. I'm not gonna be mayor forever. Any other mayor is gonna have the responsibility. If we wanna see things change, if we want things done, and you wanna hold the mayor accountable, and you wanna see real change, you need the ability to be able to manage these various departments and the leaders of these departments. And having layers of commissioners sometimes can be an impediment to that. Then why not keep the letters? Why not keep doing it? Because it's just easier not to let this continue to blow up and be an issue because this is a real insider political thing. The people who care about this are the people who in most cases just want to mess with me over something. Hmm. You mean the media? No. <laughs> the media likes messing with me over things, too. But, you know, again, why do you think it's so important? Well, because it implies that you want to have a level of control. And when their job is to oversee these departments and be independent. I do want to have a level of control. That's not even a question. Because I'm held accountable for it. I'm held responsible for it. Name all the commissioners on the police commission. Were yep. they elected to be mayor? Deborah Walker. Name all of them. <laughs> yeah. Were they elected? Were they, a, no, he's not on no, there anymore. <laughs> okay, stop, Scott, stop, stop. All right, we but, only got a few. But, but that the, doesn't mean you're right. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not saying that I'm right. I'm just saying that my perspective is, yes, I want to have a layer of control so that I can manage the city, so that I can be able to deliver what people are asking me to do. But when I have people, again, that might have challenges that distract from the issue, that go AWOL with their attendance, that aren't showing up and think they can do whatever they want to do as it relates to you know, their duties of what they're supposed to be doing as a commissioner, 
then yeah, I need to do what I need to do because people hold me responsible for it. So it's really about that. And, and, and at the end of the day, people talk about independence from the mayor. We need independence from the mayor. Well, the mayor is elected. I don't, again, I don't care if it's me or anyone else. The mayor is elected by the majority of the people in this city, more so than any other member of the Board of Supervisors. Commissioners aren't even elected. The buck stops with me. I'm held accountable for all these things. People don't want to hear excuses. They want solutions. They want the city to get better. And part of making sure that that happens means some level of control and understanding that the people I put in positions for commissions are being responsible, are focusing on not their own personal agendas, but focusing on the agendas for the city, are listening to the community. And this commissioner that you mentioned wouldn't even listen to members of the black community when they talked about some of the policies that he's trying to implement. So it's, it's, it's a bigger conversation here and, and, and it needs to be, you know, kind of brought out in this way. So it's not about being right or wrong. You know, you of course have your feelings and opinions about it and I know others do as well. But in the bigger scheme of things, for me, this is at the bottom of the list of things that I feel are the most important in our city. Yeah. That was San Francisco Mayor London Breed on stage with us October 5th. She apologized Thursday for what she said about Hondurans and drug dealing in the Tenderloin during that conversation. And that'll do it for this edition of Political Breakdown. It's a production of KQED Public Radio. And today we say goodbye to our engineer, Katie McMurrin, who has been absolutely solid as a rock for us all these years. No drama and totally reliable. Katie, we are so going to miss you. So steadfast during what was a very challenging time, especially an early pandemic. Uh, Katie, we're going to miss your smiling face and amazing attitude. For today, our producer is Guy Marzarati. I'm Marisa Lagos. You can get help filling out your ballot with a KQED voter guide. That's at kqed.org slash voter guide. And if you have a question for candidates on your ballot, like the DA in San Francisco or a supervisor, you can actually do that through the voter guide. I'm Scott Schaefer. Join us on Sunday for the first and only governor's debate. Marisa and I are hosting with Gavin Newsom and Brian Daly. That's 1 p.m. on Sunday on KQED and public radio stations across the state. See you then. Hi, I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse, golden state. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid. And I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, it was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love 
while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support.